Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist life coach, and you've got episode number 44. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Before I get into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement, which is that this is the last month that I'll be taking new one-on-one coaching clients. I have some exciting new offerings coming down the pipeline for mid-fall this year, so I'll be closing the doors for one-to-one coaching coming soon. So if you've been thinking about working with me one-on-one, now is the time. And if you haven't been thinking about working with me, I do want to tell you about what I do with my clients and why you might want to consider it. So the number one value that I operate from is that I believe that you deserve to feel at home in your body. And this can mean a lot of different things to different people. It might mean that we work together to navigate perimenopausal symptoms that are getting in the way of you fully enjoying your life and maybe putting together a plan to address those symptoms in a way that you feel great about. It might mean digging into body image stuff that tends to come up for many folks socialized as women as we move through this transition. It might mean helping you renegotiate your boundaries and expectations and relationships in your life. It might mean having a conversation about how to get the most out of your sex life. Or maybe you know that you want to take this transition as an opportunity to create whatever the fuck you want in your life. And I'm here to help you with all of it. So I'm still offering free coaching consultations until the end of August, 2023. And from there, I'll no longer be accepting new one-on-one clients. So if you've been thinking about working with me, now's the time. To book your free consultation, you can head to the show notes to find the link there, or you can go to michellecapler.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. So today I'm sharing my conversation with Dr. Lori Alpert. She's a naturopathic doctor and we both practice on Ontario, Canada. Dr. Lori has a strong focus in perimenopause and menopause in her clinical practice and we've been following each other for a while on Instagram and she reached out to me to connect for a chat and within five minutes I knew that I wanted to have her on the podcast. So today we're talking about mental health through the perimenopausal transition and beyond and so some of the things that come up in our conversation are things like what kind of mood changes come up for people in perimenopause menopause? Why is this happening specifically at this time of life? What can people do and what options are there to help mitigate some of the moon concerns specific to perimenopause? Are there things that people can do to prepare or reduce the risk of significant mood concerns? And how can we keep it simple and go back to the basics to find solutions? Before I share my conversation, I want to offer Dr. Laurie's professional bio. Dr. Lori Alpert is a naturopathic doctor who provides integrative and transformative healthcare so that women can fully show up in midlife with confidence, clarity, and choice. As a NAMS or North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner, she enjoys supporting women through their midlife hormonal transition by combining up-to-date evidence-based information, goal setting, and shared decision-making. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Lori. Welcome, Dr. Lori. Thank you so much for being here with us on Perimenopology. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Me too. I've been 
Well, we've been following each other on social media for a bit now, and I just love your posts. They're so information-packed, and they speak directly to the kind of people that I'm speaking to as well. So I thought, of course, we're going to do a podcast episode together when we chatted a few weeks ago. So I'm really excited to talk about all things mental health and menopause with you. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Sure. Well, you know, I help women in their 40s and 50s feel like themselves again. And so what that looks like is a lot of perimenopause and menopause support as well as, you know, whole person support, whole body support as an integrative uh, medical practitioner. Amazing. And just for those of us uh, who aren't familiar with what naturopathic doctors do, uh, that's what Dr. Lori is. And so tell us just a little bit about um, the kind of modalities that you use to help your people. Sure. Well, I practice a fairly evidence-based practice. And, you know, if ever I'm going to suggest something where there's less evidence, then we'll talk about that. But so a lot of the modalities I use are informed by the literature. So we may look at um, nutrients. We're going to look at botanicals. Uh, You know, we may suggest acupuncture if that's indicated. Uh, And I even present options of medication, even if it's outside of my scope, but there's certainly evidence to suggest that that's what's indicated. I will have that conversation with my patients and refer them back to their doctors. I love that. And I think that that's truly an example of cutting edge medicine where we can take all of these different approaches and modalities and types of practitioners and kind of apply them when it's best suited to the situation. I mean, that's just the ultimate in my opinion. Yes. It's nice to have all the tools, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like if you do this work long enough, you realize that for most people, it's just about trying a bunch of different things and seeing what works. And it often turns out to be a couple of different therapies layered on top of each other that tends to get people the best results. So I love that all of that is available. Absolutely. I'm always, uh, you know, advising if it's within people's access to have a team, right? You have your team of support uh, that includes your medical doctor, maybe, you know, your naturopath or your acupuncturist or your physiotherapist or your therapist, uh, you know, whatever it is that you have access to, the bigger the team, the more support you have. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So we're going to get into it specifically about mental health today. So Just to start from like a basic understanding, what are the kinds of mood changes that you see in your clinical practice that come up for people during perimenopause? Such a great question. And I feel like I could spend the whole half hour just listing the things. But no, we see a lot of new anxiety, irritability, and anger. You know, you've heard the term and you've talked about it on your podcast, this meno rage. Um, There's also some loneliness and shame that comes on. There can be some grief. There's some new uh, or returning disordered eating patterns that can come up as well through this time because of the physical changes to our bodies. So it it is a whole range. And then of course, there can be depression or sadness. And and sometimes it's not always this depressive box that people fit into. We talk a lot about perimenopausal depression, but I have a lot of patients that come in and say, you know what, I'll cry really easily, or I feel kind of sad, but it's not really sad. I don't feel depressed. I'm just crying a lot more often. So it's not always clear cut and doesn't always fit these typical diagnostics, but we see a whole range of emotions showing up at this time. Yeah, that's been my clinical experience as well. And the feedback that I've gotten from the folks that I help. And I think a lot of people would describe the emotional experience of perimenopause kind of like being almost akin to PMS on steroids, like just this kind of 
hyperextended version of perhaps what people were experiencing through their, you know, regular reproductive years. And for some people, even more or new or different things. So there's just so many individual presentations. And that's why it's great, as you were saying, to have a team of people that you can work with. Um, But my next question is, and again, this is another big question. I think that, of course, we could talk about the socialization and cultural conditioning that lead people who cycle and menstruate to make assumptions about what's going on with their emotions. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about kind of the physical aspects of what contributes to all of these mood changes that come up during this time. Sure. Like the physiology behind it, as far as we understand it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So what we see is that, I mean, certainly at times of fluctuating hormones, we are more susceptible to mood changes. We've seen in the literature and the research over times, you know, around postpartum, around puberty with our PMS cycle uh, and menopause. These are all sort of, you know, windows of vulnerability, if you will, for mood disturbances and, and feeling all kinds of things. It goes to speak to the point that hormones fluctuating seem to be promoting this change in our mood. So what is it? We've done a fair amount of research to look in to try to understand. And we do see that there are, you know, estrogen receptors all over our bodies and estrogen may be influenced in our serotonin receptor function. Uh, So there is this element of neurochemistry being impacted Uh, That said, in a lot of cases, when we are to look at someone who's menstruating and maybe experiences mood disturbances premenstrually, we don't see like the levels of estrogen don't actually indicate who's going to struggle with their mood at that time. So it's not level specific, but it seems to be more with these uh, more rapid changing levels, which is also a part of our normal physiology, right? Like we're supposed to see these changes every time we menstruate or we cycle. That's the normal functioning of the body. But through menopause, uh, those fluctuations can become much more dramatic, less regular, less predictable. And so to your point, some people who experienced PMS before may be getting bigger symptoms at this time and uh, or people who never really had this experience before. Now, suddenly with these much more uh, dramatic changes in their hormone levels, they're going to start to feel it because of the effect on our, our neurology. I love that very succinct description of what's going on, but also I think it delivers the message that there are absolutely physiological causes behind these mood changes. And it's really important to keep that in mind because a lot of the folks that I talk to about this, um, I think that as women and people socialized as women, we get into this habit of almost gaslighting ourselves and saying like, oh, it's just my hormones. My thoughts and feelings aren't really valid. It's just you know, something kind of going on with my body. And so it's important to acknowledge that, like, yes, there are physiological reasons. um, But I'm also interested in hearing your thoughts on, is it just physiological changes? Or is there other stuff in the mix too? Oh, my gosh, there's so much other stuff. And and to your point, it's kind of this not a dance, but we have to really consider, yes, there is a biological impact. There certainly are things that are going to affect your mental health. So not only do we see this direct, you know, um, impact on our brain chemistry to a degree, but 
we're also having changes like sleep disturbances that are a result of this physiological process. So that, of course, we know is going to feed back into your mental health and your mood if you're not sleeping consistently. Uh, we see changes in weight, which then you know brings in this idea to your point of how we've been socialized and what we expect our bodies to look like or what we want them to look like and how that can affect how we're feeling from any given day. So it's really layered and complex, but we do need to recognize that it's our, our mental health is impacted by all of these different things. So there's the biology, there's the psychology, there's the social cultural constructs, you know, there are all of these elements that play into it at once. And so I think that if we neglect any one of those pillars, then we may be missing the mark. So when I support someone with their mental health, it's important that we're addressing all of those yeah. And I think that that just goes further to your point about having a team in place. There can be, there probably aren't people that are necessarily, I mean, practitioners, when I say people, I mean, practitioners, there probably aren't practitioners available that can provide excellent top-notch care in all of these areas. I mean, you can go to your doctor or to, you know, to a physiological practitioner to address the hormones, but then there's also the mental health and psychology piece that you were talking about. So, you know, that's why I think it's important to look at different options for solving it. And that brings me to my next question, which is that my assumption is that if you take steps to, I guess, mitigate or solve the or I guess solve for the physiological changes that are occurring that can have probably a pretty big impact on somebody's quality of life if they're struggling with their mental health. But there's probably some psychological stuff and socialized stuff that they have to dig into as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when there is a biological or physiological underlying concern or impact, the easiest thing to do is to address that, right? Like if you can take a pill or a medication that can stabilize or normalize something that's affecting how you feel, that's like step one. And that often is enough to get people feeling back to themselves so that they can do that other work. But not everyone's interested in doing that other work, to be totally honest. You know, it depends where they are in life and what they want to get out of it. But uh, if it's really hard to work with the therapist and make the progress that you're capable of making if your underlying physiology is not really functioning optimally or at its best. I think it's kind of that chicken or the egg in reverse kind of scenario where it's like, well, you know, if you don't address the one thing, then you can't effectively address another. And it's, it has to, it doesn't have to be, but I, like we were talking about earlier, I feel like the people who get the best clinical results are people who take an integrative approach to things. But, you know, in case people aren't familiar with the options out there for, you know, folks who want, need to address this, what are some of the options that are out there? And maybe start specifically with what you offer in your practice if people want to address these concerns. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, again, I try to go by the literature. So not everything that is supported by the literature is within my scope of practice. But if we're talking about anxiety or depression, and it's severe, then we do see benefits from medications like SSRIs. That would be the first line recommendation for major depressive events. Uh, 
you know, secondary to that for, for less major concerns, but still mood disturbances that may qualify as depression or even some anxiety, we do see some benefits and even some preventative outcomes from using hormone therapy, for example, or menopausal hormone therapy. But of course, that's not even an option for everyone. And some people are worried about side effects from antidepressants or what have you. So depending on patient preference, we have conversations around some other things, you know, including various botanicals that we don't actually see evidence for specifically in menopause, but we're kind of borrowing from the research that shows benefit for depression or anxiety in different contexts. That's stuff like maybe St. John's Wort or saffron has some pretty good evidence. Even something like lavender has a little bit to help with anxiety and depression. Uh, if we're, but you know, the way I practice, we're really going to consider the whole person and the whole picture. So these absolutely are tools that are relevant and useful and we put them on the table to discuss and do a sort of risk benefit analysis uh, and discuss access, how accessible is it for you to get to any of these. Uh, I can prescribe hormone therapy, but not all medical practitioners are willing to even have that conversation still. Um, that's hopefully changing now as our understanding of it has evolved. But it comes back to some of the basics. We really need to also understand you know, if you're not sleeping well, of course, sometimes hormones are implicated and hormone therapy has a role to play in that for some people. But, you know, if you're not sleeping well and there are other things going on, like you have sleep apnea and that's untreated, then we need to get that looked at. Or if you are in a really unhealthy, unsupportive relationship, you know, maybe that's where we need to start. Uh, it, it depends. And we need to look at like, how much time are you actually getting outside? I find so many people now, if they're working from home since COVID, they, they wake up, they have their cup of coffee, they go downstairs to the basement and they sit at their computer. So there's no daylight exposure, which we know impacts mood and can help with sleep. And often they may skip breakfast. So they're not fueling themselves. So then their, you know, <laughs> their brain is chemistry is going to be off for the day in that sense, or they skip lunch. So my approach is to really look at the whole picture and speak with the person, strategize about, you know, what's the best inroad for you to get started, knowing that we have all these various tools and we figure that out together. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that it very much is an individualized approach and it is important <laughs> to talk to somebody who can help you go through all of these various factors and come up with a individualized plan for your unique body and whatever you happen to be going through at the time. That's very well said. And that's pretty classic of naturopathic medicine and our right. approach to care. So right. yeah, it goes, well, here's a question. And the answer is, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify, because I think that there might be some people who are wondering about this. Do people ever mix quote unquote, alternative therapies. And I know that you use evidence-based therapy, so I hate using the word alternative, but I think that's what people associate with the medicine that we practice versus conventional, let's say, drug therapies. So do people ever use, let's say, botanicals and pharmaceutical medications in combination? Is it okay to do that? Is that an option? Great question. And yes, 100%. And I tend to encourage it if it's if it's, you know, indicated and beneficial. So not all botanicals are safe with all medications. So, you know, you need to work with someone who has that information and can advise you appropriately. But 
Absolutely. Getting, you know, acupuncture in addition to working with your doctor, with your drugs or what have you, there's all kinds of modalities and many of them can be layered. And even this idea, you know, I mentioned the role of antidepressants and then the role of hormone therapy, and they can be used simultaneously as well, uh, depending on the case. So there's lots of ways to mix and match. And that's what I love about integrative medicine is that we're, we kind of get to put everything on the table and then decide what's the best fit for you without closing, you know, putting our blinders on to just one sort of tunnel or one approach. Yeah, I love that so much. And just to insert a very quick and direct disclaimer, this is a really good time to expand on the fact that these botanical or alternative or supplement-based or plant-based solutions are effective. They do work. They get results in your body please don't order supplements off Amazon or off the internet without a consultation with a qualified healthcare provider that can actually guide you and has expertise in these areas. There are known side effects when mixing supplements with certain medications. So just because it's a plant doesn't mean that it doesn't have effects and it doesn't mean that the effects that you're going to get are going to be right for your body. So if you're on SSRIs or menopausal hormone therapy, please make sure that you talk with somebody who knows what they're doing before you combine them with plants. So I just want to make sure that we say that <laughs> before we move on. Yes. Thank you for putting that out there. Anything to add to that? No, that that's it. Exactly. Well said. Okay. Awesome. So what I'd like to chat about next is I think a lot of my listeners are kind of on the cusp of being perimenopausal. You know, they're maybe in their late 30s or early 40s and they're, um, they tend to be health conscious folks who just want to kind of get a runway into what to expect next. And so if people are not quite in perimenopause, but they're maybe looking to the future to prepare for the transition, what are things that people can do to prepare or perhaps even reduce their risk of significant mood changes during this time? Oh, such a great question. Uh, I think the very first is to inform yourself. So if you're already listening to this podcast, you're ahead of the game, right? You're, you kind of got it on, <laughs> got it on your radar. I think that's absolutely the, the very first. Um, I think establishing habits to maintain those foundations, like I said, can be really helpful. So making sure you're eating regularly throughout the day, making sure that, you know, you can integrate some movement in your life, whatever that looks like, whether it's stretching, dance, walking, sport, you know, moving your body, those all have a great impact on mood. And I think what happens a lot of this time too, is we're looking at our relationships. So you know, taking a hard look, like what are the relationships that are really no longer serving you or maybe draining from you and making some hard decisions about who you spend your time with, where you spend your energy, what you're investing in, you know, from a, like a, an energy perspective. Uh, and then the foundations again of just sleep. I think it's something we tend to tolerate poor sleep for far too long. So doing the things, getting the help, asking for the support that you need to make sure that you're sleeping well, because this is one of the things that comes up often at this time of life is sleep disturbances. And sometimes it's the first sign that, you know, put it on the radar for people. Uh, so no need to wait to get support, you know? Uh, so establishing those foundations, I think is really helpful. Then we have informing yourself, you know, establishing the foundations. And then if possible, as much as possible, setting yourself up with a care provider who you feel is informed or who uh, can work with you through this time, you know, and, and maybe even setting up that team if that's available to you or not. 
Uh, but just you can you can you know, test out with your medical doctor, like where they stand, what's their knowledge on this, how they feel. You probably have a sense already uh, and and see if that's enough for you. If that's a great place, then you're good to go there, you know, but if you need to seek out some other sources, then go ahead. I love that idea of giving people permission to seek other sources if they're feeling that that's what they're needing. I think that um, what happens to a lot of women and people who menstruate when they get healthcare is especially if they're trying to be proactive or preventative, um, sometimes they're met with, oh, well, you're too young. You don't need to worry about that. Or, you know, come talk to me when it's really bad. Or, you know, that's just part of getting old. You should just tolerate it. Uh, You know, those kinds of responses. So I love that idea of, yeah, if that is not giving you what you need, it's perfectly within your right to ask for a second opinion or seek a different kind of provider. Yes. So that actually is one of my biggest pet peeves, that idea, that dismissal of, you know, it can't be menopause, you're too young, or it's just your hormones and off you go. The kind of that dismissive attitude. Uh, And I hesitate to say, you know, try to find someone else only because here in Canada, in Ontario, it's a public healthcare system and it's not easy always to find a doctor. And so you don't always have that option. Like sometimes you can't even get in to see the doctor that you have right now. Uh, So it's it's not always a an easy situation. And I know it's different across provinces, having spoken to people in different parts of Canada. Uh, So I, you know, t- I take that with a grain of salt and understanding, but that's why things like this can be so helpful. We get public education through these other sources of technology uh, so that at least you can go in and advocate for yourself. And unfortunately, the reality is that we do still have to do that. You know, as people who are assigned female at birth, anyone who's potentially going through menopause, um, we still have to advocate and some people have to advocate even harder. You know, people of color have to be louder to make sure they're heard because of all the bias. So, so it's pretty complicated, but I think that, you know, the more we talk about this, the more we fellow menstruators can share these experiences and, and share what the actual evidence says about the options we have, you know, the more effective we can be in communicating with our care providers to get the support that we need. I think that's a really important point that you make in that, you know, we are actually able to take back a lot of our power in these situations just by arming ourselves with information. So if you go to your care provider with just kind of a, a vague symptom, they're going to be way more likely to dismiss it as, oh, that's just your hormones or it's not a big deal or whatever. But if you actually have information or even research that you can cite um, about the symptoms that you're going on along with your own body data that you have gathered. So this is how my periods used to be and this is how my periods are now. The more information that you can go into your care provider with, the better. So do you have any sources that you like to recommend for people just to learn about the basics of what's normal and what's not or what's common and what's not? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I usually refer people to some of the standard um, validated resources like the North American Menopause Society. There's also the Nuisance Menopause Health Society in the UK, uh, the International Menopause Society, these sorts of things. Um, and, and you brought up a good point there and that I wanted to speak to as well is that sometimes 
I've had a lot of patients where this has happened. Well, they go to the doctor and they have seven to 10 minutes to tell their doctor what's going on. And the biggest concern is maybe this anxiety or maybe a little bit more teary eyed that they don't understand what's happening to them. And so their doctor will write the prescription for an antidepressant. And it's very possible that that is the best medication in that case. But I think a lot of the challenge is that menopause is not on all health healthcare providers' radar. So they're maybe missing the boat and what else is going on and what the other options are. So I certainly have had that happen. And then they'll ask, you know, could this be menopause? And they'll get the response, oh, you're too young. You know, this happened to a 47-year-old patient of mine recently. Um, and so I just, I find that really difficult, but unfortunately you arm ourselves with the information, these validated resources, then we can approach and speak the language in a way that hopefully we're heard, right? And uh, to get to get the results that we need. But for that reason, I've also put together something, hopefully you can share the link, but I put together uh, just like a survey sort of that people can go through and it's 11 questions and a validated survey that you can check to assess your personal experience of the most common signs of menopause so that you can check it off and say you are having some mood disturbances. Well, this puts it in the context of a potential mood disturbance related to menopause so that if you only have seven to 10 minutes with your healthcare provider, you may be able to take this list and say, look, yes, I'm experiencing some anxiety and some sadness or irritability, but I also am having some night sweats or I'm having some joint pain or I'm starting to get you know, a little bit like sometimes sex hurts a little bit or some vaginal like itchiness in my vaginal area. It kind of puts it all together so that it might just flick the light switch for your care provider to think, oh, this is in the context of menopause. So we may need to have a slightly different conversation than just slip you the script for the antidepressant without talking about anything else. I love that. And yes, please send that link because I will put it in the show notes so people can click and find it easily. That sounds like an amazingly straightforward and simple resource. So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just to just to make a comment about what you were talking about earlier with some kind of lifestyle recommendations. I love that idea of simple and straightforward. I think that, you know, you were talking a few minutes ago about, you know, getting good sleep and moving your body and eating a well-rounded diet that you know, isn't too specific or cutting out major food groups or anything like that. I noticed that you didn't mention things like intermittent fasting in this diet and that diet, which is... I just want you to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Like just make sure you're getting enough calories. And I think it's kind of interesting to kind of circle back to that idea that really at the end of the day, that the things that are proven time and time again in the research to actually be effective for long-term health and longevity are things that are really boring, like eat enough food and drink enough water and move your body sometimes regularly and go outside, get some sunshine. Like That's really the core set of behaviors that we need to be engaging with as opposed to all of these complicated or, you know, diet ideas that border on disordered eating, as you mentioned before. So thank you so much for making that point. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. The foundations, it's tricky because people kind of roll their eyes, but they can make such a difference. I just think our, our culture and our lifestyle often doesn't emphasize or make space for them in the way that they really need to be there for us to feel our best. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we're also kind of sold this bill of goods that in order to get real change in health, we have to be always looking for that magic bullet, that secret 
pathway or superfood or the latest supplement. Like it has to be something like that and direct and magical. Uh, and really it's kind of a perfectionist fantasy because it's really just about, you know, like eating enough calories and getting enough sleep at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I sometimes feel that way about hormone therapy. I mean, it, it's, it has, it can really positively change someone's life. You know, I see it happen all the time and the kit allows people to get to the place where they can start to make those changes. Okay. I can start to integrate some movement or now I feel in a place where I can actually plan my lunch properly to make sure I eat. <laughs> but, um, Sometimes I think I think it's like skirting that line around menopause of being sold as the magic pill. And so while it might be the magic bullet for many people, it's not that for everyone. And we do need to remember that there are other strategies and and other things to consider at this yeah, time. A hundred percent. And I like to refer to the fact that there is no hierarchy of treatment choices. If somebody wants that. to, if somebody just wants to go right to MHT, menopausal hormone therapy, valid choice. If somebody wants to try the lifestyle stuff, valid choice. If somebody wants to go natural, amazing. And comparing ourselves to others or accepting unwanted or unsolicited feedback from others about our treatment choices just isn't something that we have to be doing. I love that because I think what happens, especially in the hormone therapy world and conversation, and I see it in some of the conversations amongst the people that I work with, you know, is that, okay, hormone therapy, it's supposed to be great. I feel like crap. It's perimenopause and I take my hormone therapy and maybe for some reason I don't tolerate it. Or maybe for some reason I'm not, it's not safe for me. I'm not a good candidate for it. And so then I just have to suck this up. I just have to suffer through this. Like I have no options. So we need to remember that it's not the one and only. It has a lot of amazing evidence and can be great for many people. But yes, it, there's no hierarchy of, I love that, that I'm going to steal that if that's okay. Please steal it. <laughs> Spread the word. Everybody needs to know that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So before we sign off here, a couple things that I want to ask you about. The first one is that if you had to kind of think of one key takeaway, like that, if you took nothing else from today's episode, hear this message, what would that message be? Oh, gosh, I think that here that mood changes are very common and normal during menopause, and that you don't have to just suck it up find some help. You can find there's so much support out there for you that if you notice this happening and if you're struggling, you know, we've got you. Thank you. I love how you just said it so succinctly and simply and bluntly. You're speaking my language, my friend. I love that. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> and so, of course, there's going to be people who are totally resonating with what you're saying. So how can people find and follow you? Tell us all the things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, pretty straightforward. My website, drlorialpertnd.com or the same handle for Instagram right now. So at drlorialpertnd. Okay, perfect. So I'll make sure that I link all of those up in the show notes so people can click and find them easily. Dr. Lori, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been great, Michelle. So that was my conversation with Dr. Lori Alpert. If you resonated with our conversation, please find, follow, and work with her. I'll link all of that up in the show notes so you can find it easily. That's it for me today. Until next time, thanks for listening. Did you know that I'm a coach and clinician that helps women and people who cycle and menstruate make perimenopause the best thing that's ever happened to them? 
What if you thought what was the end of the best part of your life was actually just the beginning? If this resonates with you, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapler.com and click on work with me in the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you.